This is the Talk Derby to Me podcast. I know how well received it is, not just in the local area and community, but um, globally, internationally. I've got uh, friends far and wide that, that tune in and uh, send their compliments on, the, uh, on what you're sharing with everyone. So well done, mate. Three times a week, we talk to someone who's doing the city of Derby proud. Footballers and sports people, actors, singers, bands and loads more. I feel like I've known you for a very long time, but we've only ever spoken in a capacity like this. That's a real talent. That's that's journalism. If you love all things Derby, give us a listen. We're all Derby, aren't we? Available wherever you get your podcasts. Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode... You were better to be 10% under-trained than 1% over-trained. Absolutely, for the marathon. Because the marathon will bite you at 18, 19, 20 miles if you're over-trained. Running with Jake, the podcast. Because every runner needs the occasional plod. And here's your host, Jake Lowe. This is your weekly dose of running motivation. We are back to pick you up, to fire you up, to get you out of the funk. I've been in a little bit of a funk recently. I won't deny it, going a little bit stir-crazy. Still in lockdown, it's still going on. But we're going to provide you with a little bit of escapism today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're listening to the show, we are going to have some fun and get you feeling better about life. Got another cracking show lined up for you. I, I really, I'm really excited, and I say it every week, but I am really excited, please believe me, with the guests we have on today, because I've, I've chased him down. This is my new thing now, chasing guests down. I've been chasing him for a long time, and we have Tom Craggs on today, who is the England Marathon lead for England Athletics. Top guy, he's also the road running manager. Can't wait to chat with him today on the show. Yeah, really insightful chat, actually. And, and you know, I'm one of these uh, non-running guys, and I, I sit here and I listen to these conversations, and uh, quite often now, uh, interrupt and make something trivial or stupid but if I'm absolutely honest with you when Tom was on and you guys were having that chat I just thought wow I, I can't I don't want to ruin this chat by saying some banal rubbish uh, so I just kind of let it happen and um, it was yeah great chat great guest well done and we're taking our guests to the next level that's what we do we're always looking at evolving the show moving forward that's what we do in our running that's what we do in the running with jake podcast talking of evolving and moving the show forward i want to mention something to you Pete. I, it's been on my mind a little bit past few days to be honest and, and and often i like to use the show as a platform to discuss these various issues with you maybe they should be in a podcast meeting i have no idea but look it's great that we are now evolving and supporting other podcasts or the shows i really like this that's one thing i love about the podcast world the community we all support each other to help each other grow our audience so we're supporting other shows recently we've played clips from the lovejoy hour tim lovejoy's show which is fantastic love that love love to support it and as the producer you obviously select the clip that we play on our show to promote their their show to give you a bit of insight what happens is his producer blake just sends me a, a little clip and and then i put it into our show and and, and it's always of a, a good quality because it's a good show but you give it the green light though right i mean ultimately you say as the producer of the show whether it goes on or it doesn't go on yeah sure and you gave this clip the green light and i'm i'm not entirely certain about it just just have a listen to this this is what was on the show last week hi i'm tim lovejoy and this is my award-winning podcast there stop it there Hours. right award-winning show. Yeah. You allowed a clip on our show of an award-winning <laughs> podcast. We've never won an award. We're not an award-winning podcast. We we can't be doing this. Look, if we're going to have 
other shows on our show, we need to be. It needs to be a level playing field. We need to be in the same place. We're not in the same place. They're in a different stratosphere. They've won an award. What have we won? We've won nothing. We've never won. We've never won anything. To be fair, we've never gone in for an award. So you know there is that. But I, I take your point that um, yeah, it seems like they've won an award. I don't. To, to be honest, if I'm absolutely honest with you, I don't know what award they've won. There's a there's there's an award ceremony for podcasts. It's called the British Podcast Awards, and I. We're entering it this year, um, and and I've been looking back through past winners, and I thought, oh, I, I wonder what Tim won. I wonder, you know, the Lovejoy, I wonder what he won. So I'm looking back, and I can't find it anywhere. Then I was looking at some other award ceremonies, and I was looking at some other things, and if I'm absolutely honest, I can't see what award he's won, but clearly he is an award-winning show. It's a very good show that yeah, he but does. you can't just take this as face value. If a podcast approaches us, a show, and they say, oh, here we go, here's a clip, play it, it we're an award-winning podcast, don't just accept that. That. You need proof. That's what runners do. If one of our friends says, oh, I achieved this in London in 2007, we don't just go, oh, great, what do we do? We get straight on Google and we check those flipping race results. Are you lying? Are you telling porkies? We need to know. I need proof. Podcast proof. Let's get his producer, Tim Lovejoy's producer, Blake, on, on the line. We'll try and do a link-up, OK? Just bear with. Hang on. So, Blake, hi. Hello, how are we? Yeah, very good, mate. We're just um, doing the podcast now, obviously, um, and we're talking about the award that um, that Lovejoy won. You know, on the obviously on the on the promo that you sent me, um, it says that he's an award-winning show. And Jake, it was mainly Jake because I believe everything that people tell me. Um, Jake would like to delve a little bit deeper into that and find out what award you've won, and he'd like to see your CV as well, if that's Like, right, look, right? don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong here, I, I, I'm, I'm generally speaking a very trusting guy, but we just need to do our due diligence, we need to make sure that awards are legitimate, I would do the same in the running world, making sure that achievements that my runners achieve, we need proof, man, we need medals, we need a t-shirt, I appreciate you guys can't provide that, but... This award, I'm, 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 what, what award is this? Um, I'm happy to announce we actually won the best podcast in the world award. Wow! Um, it wasn't on the British. It's, it's probably why you've not you've not spotted it. The British Podcast Awards. Um, it was actually best podcast in the world. Wow! So obviously, British Podcast Awards only covers the UK industry, whereas a best podcast in the world, even like over Joe Rogan and people like yeah, that. Yeah, best podcast in the world. Um, it went to the judges. Um, so we we were nominated. And it went to the judges, and luckily the judges, um, the judges chose us. I don't, I don't know why. Which which year was this? With three years in a row. Three. Good God, that's what? proper. You see, Jay, I told you. I said that. I said that we got the guy, and the, and they were award winners, and this was a, a good show to be, uh, you know, associated with. Pete, you you said you're going to enter our show into the British Podcast Awards, aren't you? This year, which I think is a really a really yeah. good move. But this whole best podcast in the world i mean this this we need to be involved in this we want a piece of this you know you got to be in it to win it as i always say blake how do we how do we enter our show how, how does that work i can have a word with the judges for you because i think you have to go through them really um hang on just a minute so you can have a word with the judge but who are the judges because you, you know we're on a um, sort of world stage, and what you've won the award three years in the row, and you're going to speak to the judges about getting us involved. Yeah, <laughs> I smell a fish. Uh, <laughs> That's what I smell. The judges are um, me and Tim Lovejoy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Wait. <laughs> 
we announced on our show last week we 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 opened you up to a new audience you have you have new listeners because of us because of your award-winning show that we announced to the world and you are the flipping judges yeah but that's all an award is isn't it it's it's something that's made up by someone and then judged by someone else what is an award do you know what blake's got a really good point there and, got a point. And, you know He's is, got a point. Yeah, we, we're getting backed up about not having won an award, and yeah, we might be entering the British Podcast Awards, but it's costing us thirty quid, Jay. Listen, Blake, I obviously want to maintain this uh, very healthy relationship that we have. This new relationship, I'd like you to take it to the next level. We would really like a piece of the award action. Mm. We want to get involved. Can you help us out with this? When when are you uh, holding an, another award ceremony? And um, can we c- can Pete and I put forward the podcast? I can put you forward yeah, as best cool. best running podcast in. The- world we're going for best football podcast in the world next week because uh, we do a football podcast now next week hey good luck with that i've got a good feeling <laughs> so best best running podcast yeah, good luck so with from that. then on when we send you like our little clips we'll be able to say that we're an award-winning podcast as well yeah no one ever checks i mean apart from jake but no one normally ever checks <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant this time next week mate we'll be award winners this time next week <laughs> for the show notes and video content Go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. On this week's Lovejoy Hour, sponsored by Cooker 100 Degree Boiling Hot Water, straight from your kitchen tap. I'm joined by comedian and host of The Last Leg, Adam Hills, who answers 15 questions about his life. Again, the producer was watching going, oh my God, this has to be the show. This has to be the show. Again, it was a lovely accident. I'm curious about working from home with writer and podcaster Rebecca Seal and the eight to the down of football. We've reached the letter O. The Lovejoy Hour, available in all the usual podcast places and some unusual ones too. Running with Jake, the podcast. So everybody's getting super fired up now. Come on, positivity. This is your weekly dose of running motivation. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Autumn marathons, fingers crossed, it looks like they may go ahead. I know everybody listening is supercharged. You want some help, you want some tips, you want some tricks. We've got just the person. Tom, it's great to speak to you, my friend. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Jake. It's, um, yeah, an awful lot of, of, of sort of um, change and, and excitement going on in the running world. So, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Spring is definitely uh, in the air. Oh, man, that helps, doesn't it? It's a crazy world. I mean, people can't really keep up. Like, a race is going ahead and they're not going ahead. But it is looking, of course, we don't know what's around the corner, of course, and it's important to manage expectations. But it is looking a little more promising than it once was, which is really good news. What are you up to at the moment, Tom? Because I jumped on... I know you do a lot of work for England Athletics. I jumped on a webinar that you were delivering uh, the other week, which was fantastic, all about marathon training, which we're going to get into some of that a bit today. But what's your, what's your role now? Because that's changed a bit. My role now is, has generally been sort of um, performance stuff, so working with athletes and coaches in terms of, you know, development, creating op- training opportunities. Um, certainly over the last year, beginning to work on things like international teams, so England athletes competing, um, you know, overseas in competitions when obviously before before we before the pandemic struck um but just recently i took on um a role in fact yeah i say started yesterday um as road running manager for england athletics so that's now a full-time role so where i've been mixing my governing body work with lots and probably a thousand too many things going on in the rest of my life i'm now much more focused in in terms of the governing body and and working on road running in particular and trying to create opportunities for runners of all abilities really that's amazing and are you, is, is um, marathon your 
baby, Tom. I, I, I sense that that's the distance that you have a, a special love for. Is, is that fair to say? Or what, where, where's your, where's, where does your passion lie within the world of running? I'm passionate about all running. Like, I, I, I watch I watch Usain Bolt and I'll go and watch... I'd, I'd happily stand by a 100-mile ultra or a 24-hour race and sort of engage... You know, I, I love running. Um probably marathon has a special place for me because that's how I got into into the sport so I'm, I'm probably somewhat unusual in terms of um, a national coach working with a governing body and that I've never been an elite athlete myself at all by any stretch of the imagination um, my entry point to the sport was as an adult which is different I mean and probably familiar to a lot of people listening um, but in terms of elite athletics and elite sport it's not as common you know most people involved either as an athlete or a coach have been doing it for a long period of time i got involved because my dad was diagnosed with bowel cancer it was 2007 and i i wanted to i entered a marathon to raise money for charity like like many people do and at the time i, I wasn't a runner i had i had done I think I'd done Bath Half Marathon, but you know I'd done it, and I had I'd never intended to do another race. That was it. That was my running life over. So um, yeah, when Dad was diagnosed, I, I entered a marathon to raise money for Bowel Cancer UK, and it just that year of training for it just took you know it took over my life. I think it was a time of life when I was really receptive to improving at things because I was in sort of my mid twenties and I was beginning to feel a bit stale and feeling like I wasn't really improving anything in my life and I wasn't really going anywhere with work and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know running just just seemed so lovely measurable it was a you know a time of life where you struggled to meet new people and I joined a running club met loads of new people um and so the marathon was kind of my entry point to the sport in a strange way and so whilst now I coach runners from you know 800 meters up to ultra marathon the marathon definitely has a special place in my heart you know the fact that you found running effectively in your mid-20s you didn't come from an elite a racing background you know when you were kind of 11 years old and going through the, the ranks as it were do you think there's certain benefits to coming into coaching at the level that you are at working with England athletics and the road running stuff do you think there's some benefits to that I have to hope there are <laughs> you know I think I've, I've had to I've had to use it to my advantage because I can't change my background you know um, and I think whether or not I had any potential to be I'm sure I never had any potential to be an elite athlete but whether I had a, a potential or not to to go and run a lot faster than I have done I don't know I for many many years I was I was I was pretty overweight um, and I um, I had a very different life <laughs> I organized club events I, I just had run sport was just not part of my life um, and I don't regret any of any of that and and I think in a way having had a life before I got into athletics has helped me because it I think it means I've got a bit of perspective and that it's actually really healthy to have other things as well as running. What I hope it's resulted in is me not having a preconceived idea about what training looks like, you know, and that I've had to listen to other people more because when I, came, I fell into coaching and I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I really didn't have an idea what I was doing. I was making it up as I went along. I panicked. I remember when I started doing sessional coaching in a club I'd stress about it all day. You know, have I set the sessions right? Is this going to be right? And, and I, you know, I planned it to, you know, the minutiae of detail because because I was I was really nervous. I didn't really know what I was doing. And, you know, I read every book under the sun because I was sort of really insecure about my knowledge. What, what that's meant is that I kind of... I, I think I gathered quite a lot of knowledge quite quickly um, and I hopefully I'm still now receptive to listening to other people and, and learning from them. Whether or not it's an advantage, I don't know. 
I've had to use it to my advantage, I think is the best way to say. I mean, I mean it does sound um, like it gives yeah. you almost like an openness, Tom, to, like you say, these you haven't got the preconceived ideas and you're second-guessing yourself and you're going to the next degree, the next level in terms of absorbing all this information, reading all the books, haven't done this session right. Tom, I want to capitalise on your uh, knowledge and amazing passion on the show today and just talk a little bit about marathons at the back end of the year. I have a concern, mate. I'm really worried that people are just going to... Everybody's going to hit the wall. Nobody's going to pace themselves. There's so much pent-up frustration. The gun's going to go and everybody's just going to rock it off. It'll be like, you know, Black Friday sale where they open the doors and everybody just goes (laughs) bursting through. What should people be thinking about now in terms of their training? That's a massive question, I know, but what can you share in your experience, Mm. Tom, where people can just start to put those things in place now? What's the important stuff, really, to consider? I do think you're right, and who knows? And I guess it's going to be different for different people. My, um, my, the the running world and the athletes I coach seem to be sort of split between two very different schools of thought with this. Um, one being, you know, um, I just can't wait to get back into racing, and uh, and as you say, there's this sort of pent up, you know, um, competitive energy that 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 can be released and as, as you know i think let's be honest if you're racing over 3k 5k 10k that's probably no bad thing to have that because you know you can ultimately what's the worst that's going to happen you know you go out and you blow up 2k into a 5k you can probably have another go next week or the week after the marathon though obviously the nature of it it needs that that level of discipline and how you manage that and i think that pent-up competitive energy is it can be a really positive thing but it requires discipline um, in terms of how you use it. I think there are also a group of athletes that this period out of racing has has triggered off a lot of anxieties and a lot of worries. And, you know, there are definitely athletes that, you know, whether big, you know, athletes, runners, I would consider anybody who puts one foot in front of the other uh, uh, an athlete. So when I'm using the word athletes, don't get me wrong, I'm not just talking about elite, I'm talking about anybody who runs. So athletes who maybe don't aren't naturally inclined towards competition you know they train for other reasons and and this does go for elite athletes there are lots of elite athletes who are like this as well they don't necessarily train for competition i think it's an important part to embrace competition you have to be able to embrace competition to race well no matter what ability you are but i think there are definitely a group and maybe i was a bit like this trained very well and kind of sometimes in a racing situation you get a little bit nervous or, you know, your head starts to play games with you in a build-up to a race. And I think for those people, the lack of racing has has maybe triggered off a few more anxieties. So I think it can be quite different, you know, for different people. So in terms of how to manage that, some of it is understanding where you are as a person. And if you're one of those people who maybe has kind of gone, look, I'm actually, this, this time out of competition has, has made me more fearful of competition. And I you know, my inclination is to, to lean away from it and to not, you know, to not embrace it. I think for you, you kind of have to go, well, look, what can I do to try to, both in my training, but also the stuff I do outside of my training to help me manage some of those anxieties. So that might be some mental skills training, not a big area of like, obviously I'm, I'm not a psychologist, um, but you know, something we do as coaches is it's just helps build confidence over time. So a little bit of mental skills training, thinking about where those anxieties come from, but also obviously stuff like, you know, maybe you set yourself a little time trial. It doesn't have to be 5k. It doesn't have to be super measurable. Maybe you just kind of have the route you do around the block and you, you know, once every four to six weeks, you give it a go. And so you, you expose yourself to that little bit of like 
competitive stress to to try to kind of see as you can go through that process because I'm going actually this makes me feel really uncomfortable but I've done it and it might not have gone perfectly but nothing really bad happened (laughs) you know so you've got that that side of things which I think is just a gently callousing yourself to competition again and that competitive mindset the other side um is going to be a really interesting one. And what was interesting last summer was obviously for a shorter period of lockdown, you know, a lot of athletes, not maybe over the marathon, obviously, because it, it, it wasn't available, but over the shorter distances, I was surprised about the amount of athletes who came out and ran PBs, really big PBs, and raced really well. So I think there is, there's a potential there because maybe people have had more recovery time and et cetera, et cetera. But you've still got to be really honest with yourself. In a marathon, you have to be really honest with yourself about what you're ready to do. And, you know, what we tend to do and what I've noticed probably with club runners, I I was this too, so this is no criticism, but with a lot of us as runners, what we do is we train for what we want to do. And we race for what we want to be, sometimes not where we actually are. <laughs> um, and, I, and I think, so let's say, you know, let's say you want to break three and a half hours for the marathon. Um, but, you know, by the time the marathon comes around, and whenever that ends up being September, October, November, December, whenever it is, your three and a half marathon, three and a half hour marathon is possible, but on the very best day. That is like everything going right. And, that, and like everything's got to come together. I think it's really healthy to kind of have, to not rule that out, but just to have layers of goals that sit in there. So maybe you have an A goal, B goal, C goal. Maybe you kind of have a, so it's not all or nothing. And that allows you to kind of go, look, if I'm feeling really good and things are clicking and the weather's right and things are flowing, it's there, it's there to do. And my training has proved it because I've done, you know, whatever I've I've done in my training that has kind of proved to me that I'm ready to, to do this. The danger is that you kind of go, because I've not raced, and I'm like, I'm so pent up for this. I'm so ready for this. In my heart of hearts, I think I'm in 3.30 shape. But you know what? I, I'm just going to go off at 3.25 pace. <laughs> like, the marathon will always, always bite you with that. It always will. And, and, and like, there are definitely times when people underestimate what they're capable of. And then you get away with it because you just you were just underestimated what you were capable of. But if you know and you've done the right training and you've proved to yourself where you're at, if you run five minutes quicker, ten minutes quicker than your goal pace the marathon will 100% bite you back. I mean, it's, it's, there's no, the physiology of the marathon is not, is not, is not forgiving in that way, you know? So I think if that's you and you're really driven and really competitive, I think that's a really healthy thing to be. You've got all that belt, but it just is like, okay, how do I channel that? And your mindset probably needs to be all that pent up aggression, you know, competitive, positive aggression. I'm like pent up competitive energy. My job is to get to 30K of the marathon and that is when I spend that, you know, that's when I'm going to spend all that pent up aggressive energy and nervous energy um, rather than in the first 10K. So some of that is thinking about race tactics and when you want to kind of see all of that come out. Um, but you're right. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, who knows? It'd be interesting. We've never been here before. Th- th- this is one of the reasons I love the marathon distance so much. Tom, personally, uh, myself and also coaching people that are doing marathon distance because 
there's so many moving parts and I really like that in terms of the training the execution there's so many factors and you mentioned something there about if it's a 5k or even a 10k you can do them semi-frequently certainly 3 and 5k you know you can if if you mess it up or you burn out as you say with a couple of k to go it's not the end of the world you can rest recover and go again and, and whatnot whereas marathon you don't get many pops at it do you really across the year let's be honest to really go I mean there's going to be quite a few people that have got all these marathons stacked up towards the end of the year now through possibly no fault of their own which is kind of another uh, whole consideration and do we do we do them do we not do we defer but it's that time scale and you mentioned about goals and the goals that you set yourself you know when you mentioned like oh breaking 330 if that's somebody's goal it might not be a case i believe of whether it's possible or not possible the question really is over what time frame how how long when could you use autumn as a stepping stone what what's your thoughts on that you know the kind of interim goals because that takes patience doesn't to say you know what i'm not going to try and ace it in autumn in the manchester marathon or london or whichever marathon i'm i'm going to learn a little bit more about myself and what i respond well to do do you think that's a kind of good approach to kind of have that long-term vision with marathons yeah 100 percent you you you're, you're absolutely right um that that you know obviously from a coaching point of view we know that you can't there is only so much the body can progress in a in a short period of time um and i think probably the, the problem sometimes with runners who may be um set their ambitions too low is that they're only doing that because they're not taking a long enough view of their training and you look at somebody like Paula Radcliffe and I you know I can't remember what newspaper it was but when she won the London Marathon one of the newspapers made some kind of facetious kind of headline about the amount of money she earned for you know running for two hours and whatever minutes it was at the time Um, and it you know, of course, what those of us involved in the sport know is that that's 10, 12 years worth of just week in, week out training. And the marathon, as much as any, probably more than any other distance, relies upon training cycle built on training cycle built on training cycle. You know, in fact, there's an athlete that I coach, Tracy, who I haven't worked with her for her whole career. She's worked with other coaches and she's, she's done her own thing. But she went from running, I think, around 350 for the marathon um, as a charity runner down to 230 and competed at a European Championships and a World Championships. It's amazing what your body can achieve, but it takes a long-term view, as you say. Uh, and, and the problem is, if you want to do it, if you try to do it all in these, like, I'll give myself 12 weeks, 16 weeks, and I, and I just, I, I want to take this huge step forward, it becomes an unsustainable journey um, physically. So you stand up stressing your body, pick up niggles, or you just lose the motivation for it because you put so much stress to achieve everything in one go or in one training cycle so i think you're you're absolutely right it's not an easy thing to do but actually if you sit down and kind of go look actually i see my training over which is what a lot of elite athletes do because they think maybe in let's say olympic cycles so let's say four year cycles we don't have to think that long but let's say you know two two to three years you have a vision of where you want to go of course we can't predict it can't predict it but it's being open to that journey you can go on if you kind of go well actually i want to go from and i've seen this countless times four hours to sub three which feels like an enormous journey when you're a four hour runner that is achievable not for everybody of course it's not there's genetics there's lifestyle there's so many factors that are you know that may limit you but in terms of openness to being able to go on that journey once you start to look at the long term okay well actually 
it's a huge goal but once you start to break it up as you rightly say and you set yourself those interim goals suddenly it becomes feels like a little bit more achievable and you kind of go well actually you know let's say I do two marathons this year well maybe I'm going to take off five minutes or so each time and you can start to see how that 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 journey starts to happen if you do multiple marathons in a year I would argue that you're never going to run any of them to your best you know I think probably two to three marathons a year is the absolute maximum that most people would be able to sustain while still delivering their very best performance um, things won't always go right they just won't I've had marathons that have just not gone right <laughs> you know and you just you just review and you implement changes and you move forwards and that's sometimes the, f- the, the failure in inverted commas is the thing that then gives you the platform to succeed next time out. I was chatting to Laura Waitman at the weekend, um, in a, doing a Q&A with her, um, and she was talking about um, she finished 11th, although it's changed now because of athletes in front of her um, being um, disqualified because of um, banned because of doping. But she was talking about her experience at Rio um, um, and saying, you know, how disappointed she was, but how that was really just a really important moment. She got cut from funding, um, and she, she was just saying how what an important, what a positive moment it was for her to take more control over what was working, what wasn't working, make changes, decide what she wanted to keep. And so sometimes these things, if you have the long term view, you know, you turn the things that don't go right into real positives. You touch on training sarcasm. We've spoken quite a bit about patience and time and having that kind of almost foresight, the patience there to train. Can you just define what a training cycle is for people that don't really know? We we talk about mm. periodization and training cycles and in kind of layman's terms, what, what does that really mean when you talk about layering the training cycles? We can overcomplicate it, I think, sometimes, for sure. I, I guess... If you really get into the kind of, you know, the the science and and theory of sports coaching, there are really big debates around how you structure your training and how to get the best out of your training. Some people believe you should be really structured and you should really put sort of very distinct blocks of different types of training. So let's say, for example, you're building up to the marathon and you kind of go, look, I'm going to do six to eight weeks focusing on developing this component of my training, six to eight weeks focusing on developing this component of my training. There are other people that believe that actually bodies don't work like that and actually, you know, what bodies need is is variety as much as anything else and you don't get too caught up about going through these different kind of blocks of, of work, doing different things at different times in the year, but you just, you mix things up and you have different stimulus and you kind of, you know, you you vary your training routes, you vary your interval sessions, you do some short stuff, you do some long stuff, you do some hard stuff, you do some easy stuff and that's enough. So it's about knowing you as an individual person, but essentially when we talk about training phases, I guess the, what I would think about is sort of saying, well, look, we can't, we want to be good at doing everything at the same time. That's natural with all of us. And probably, certainly for people who who run to set PBs, which I know is not everybody, I do, I do fully understand that. But, you know, I've done a lot of club coaching over the years. And most of my kind of club athletes I've worked with kind of want to always be ready to set a PB at 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, all at the same time. And that's, you know what, it's just, for, for most people, if you want to do your best, that's just not realistic. There's a period when that happens because, you know, you're, you know, maybe you're coming into running, you've never run before and you're just developing fitness. So everything improves in this lovely linear path. I can say now, 12 years down the line, it's a long, long, that was a long, long time ago. You know, that, those glorious days of setting PBs at everything were a long, long time ago. So what we have to do then is say... We have to direct or we're looking to direct your fitness towards 
what the event you're training for demands of you. So fairly obvious, the most kind of obvious sort of comparison is to say the marathon is going to demand kind of different types of fitness. Fitness is the wrong word. It's going to demand different things of you as a runner and of you of you mentally than running an 800 meter races. And so, you know, what what that means is in, in terms of that training phase, a phase of training, so let's call it, I don't know, 16 weeks, 20 weeks, whatever you want to, before that goal race, your training becomes a process of getting you ready to run the event that you want to do really well at. So do you need to do, and actually there are some athletes who have run 20 plus mile long runs to run 800 metres, not immediately before they do their race though, <laughs> I might add, um, but by and large, you know, most people training for 800 metres, certainly like four to six weeks before the race, they're not going to be going out at the weekend banging out 20 to 21, 22 mile long runs. Marathon runners often will, and, and that's like, I know it sounds blindingly obvious, but it's, it's going through, it, it relates to other components of your training, you know, what you're doing with maybe some of your faster sessions, what you're doing with some of your easier sessions how much running you're doing overall in your week or your month or whatever it is so we go through this period of kind of going look this is where i am focused on marathon training or 10k training or whatever it is and after the race i give myself time to back off to rest recover rebuild and maybe that real rebuilding phase looks quite different maybe you're not running to pace maybe you're running off road maybe when you've recovered you're going to go and do some trail races whatever it is so naturally even if you're not like a sports you're not really into the physiology and theory of sports coaching if you're committed to getting the most out of a specific race almost inevitably you end up phasing your year a little bit because you kind of go well the marathon's going to want something different from me from the 10k race i also want to pb at later in a year and, and so it's just that we kind of go look but the marathon really pays to kind of go you've done marathon training cycle you've rested you you know where you've got used to doing a long runs you've got used to kind of what marathon intensity feels like you've got used to racing a marathon which is well you've got used to i don't think i've ever got used to it but you know <laughs> me neither you've raced a marathon you've learned how to do the fuel you know it's, it's a tough event so um you've rest you've had your rest and recovery period you've rebuilt and then we put another one on top and then we put another one on top and that learning is like i was looking i think uh, the the webinar that you logged into i look back on a guy called steve scullion he ran two two oh nine in london and which was a very tough day in london in um in the autumn last year it was where it was cold it was just a hard day it was windy it was a hard day for running fast Probably would have been now 10 years ago, I was on a training camp with Steve Scullion when he was just beginning to move into the early stages of his marathon training. And I look back on his marathon performances and they've just built year on like, well, not year on year, but when he's done them, marathon after marathon, it's really clear he's learned. I don't know much about his training, but the results suggest that each time he's done it, he's learned a little bit more about what works. He's given it more time. He's given. He's he's tailored it and made his training work better for him, and it ended up resulting in an Olympic qualifying time and just running this amazing, you know, amazing race from from what I saw at least externally. So, you know, yeah, it's 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 recognizing that you do different things in your year, basically, I suppose, if you want to achieve your best, and that sometimes we need to go through several cycles of doing those different things in order for you to learn enough about yourself to know what works. And what doesn't work. Yeah, I, I, that makes sense. it makes perfect <laughs> sense. It makes perfect sense, Tom. And I often say that we can take things from the way that the elites train and 
bring them down to a recreational level because some of the philosophies, some of the methodologies, the ways of working, the ways of running and training, we, we can use those principles. I mean, that's a great example there. Uh, and it wasn't, I'm sure it's no coincidence that the trend has been an upward trajectory in terms of marathon performance across those th- those years, you know, resulting in, a, was it was a 209? You know, incredible. And it, it, it yeah, is that yeah. patience and setting those long-term goals. I think as well, Tom, I've always thought this, you know, coaching recreational runners as I do, I think that if we have this long-term goal and they are truly long-term, not, oh, 16 weeks, so therefore in my mind it's long-term. That's not long-term. But if we really do kind of look far ahead into the future, I think that helps to manage expectations a little bit. It doesn't put quite as much pressure on this sole event and everything's got to go well and, oh, you know what I mean? Completely. And I, and, I, and I think that's a really important point that you kind of, you have, not a, not a get out, it's not a get out, it's just recognising that... You know, you can't always, even with the best preparation, things don't always go right on the day. And if you if you're prepared to accept that, and that and that is actually part of sport. You know, where's the joy in sport? If you if you if you if you watch football and you know what the result's going to be before you watch it, where's the where's the interest in it? And we're part of that. You're taking part in a sport, so the unpredictability still needs to be there. It's it's not it's not a predictable path. And I think with when we go back to sort of you know what we can learn from elites at a really basic level, and I'm very very guilty of this myself in my own running is we all like. We all like routines and we all like patterns and we like our favourite routes and we like, you know, we wouldn't, we oft, a lot of us would be, would naturally incline towards doing the same things day in, day out if we weren't challenged to do things differently. But you know what? In order to keep your body moving forward, you've got to change things. You've got to change the stimulus. You've got to stress your body a bit. Otherwise, you just get better at doing what you're already doing. So I get better at running around the block. You know, I maybe run around the block 30 seconds faster than I did eight weeks ago. But it's, it's not, I, I need a different stimulus, you know, we need, which is why I kind of like, you know, I think uh, what you'll see with a lot of elite athletes is their training across the course of a year is quite varied, you know, and things change. And I think that's where we learn a lot from. Whereas I meet a lot of runners that kind of do the same things every single week, not just with their training, they eat the same foods, they, they you know, it's good to mix things up, I think. Um, so yeah, long-term view and, and mixing things up, I think is, is one of the, most simple but kind of hard to implement things really Tom look I know you're a super busy guy and I did pick a massive subject we've got to get you back on the show mate we, we need there's so much I want to talk to you about marathon training it's just a huge subject but I'm sure you have helped to motivate people listen to the show and get them fired up for autumn and training smart ultimately because you know people focus on getting to the finish line but guess what you can't get to the finish line without getting to the starting line you've got to be there ready to take part in the first place That's that's got to be key right it happens with the best you know we've got an olympic marathon trial coming up in less than a month's time now um and you know when it's funny when you're coaching individual athletes in that and of course it's really competitive so they'll they'll kind of think oh what's this athlete doing or what's this athlete doing and i've said look focus on what you're doing because we don't know who's going to be stood on the start line yet because the marathon's really rigorous training it's it's hard and 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 going back to one of your very first points which is like what what are some of the kind of dangers or pitfalls with not having raised for a long time one of the dangers is is recognizing that you know you, you can't cheat how quickly your body wants to progress you do have to be patient uh, and ultimately you will run a much better marathon if you're not broken stood on the start line it's such a, it's become a cliche now i say it so often but you are better to be 10 percent under trained than one percent over trained absolutely 
for the marathon because the marathon will bite you at 18 19 20 miles if you're overtrained uh, it really will and i'm not saying go out and do nothing of course you've got to train really hard to be a good marathon runner of course you do um but but the the dangers of being out of it for so long is that you kind of you chase your fitness you know you've got to just let it come you, you if you do the right things and you, you're, you're patient enough whether it's this autumn or next spring or next autumn you'll be ready to achieve the performance you want to achieve if, you, if you're patient you allow your body that time to, to recover and grow so yeah it's going to be an interesting time that's for sure Tom I cannot simply let you go without asking you this question we ask all of our guests and I'm, I'm ready for this I'm excited to know what answer you're going to give to this next question this is your weekly dose of running motivation what does the word motivation mean to you no matter what standard of athlete you are whether you're whether you're a total beginner or you're an elite athlete it's having a bigger self-transcending reason why you get out of the door for me it was my dad and his cancer diagnosis you know for somebody trying to qualify for an olympic games coming up i don't believe that going to an olympic games in and of itself is the thing that motivates you. It's the, who can you inspire by getting there? Who are you influencing by getting there? What motivation are you providing your family, your friends, your younger sister, your younger brother? What what what, what does that mean about you as a role model? And once you start to lock into that bigger why you're doing things, you know, what is it that's getting you out of the door? Maybe it's your mental health. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it because, because it, it, you know, if you push yourself with you, you're running, you could probably push yourself at work or with your social, whatever it is. Once you latch onto that bigger why, you'll find it an awful lot easier to get out of the door and, and to continue pushing yourself. Running with Jake, the podcast, your weekly dose of running motivation out every Wednesday. Never miss an episode by subscribing now. We may not be an award-winning podcast yet, but we are very good at scrounging. Please allow me to introduce you to the Jerry Maguire of the podcast world. It is indeed Patreon. Show me the money, Pete. Show me the money! <laughs> Show me the money! <laughs> sorry if that got a bit screamy. Sorry if it got a bit shouty. Sorry if it got a bit baggy. You don't have to show me the money. It's fine. If you want this for free, you can have it for free. However, if you feel guilty about taking free stuff all the time, you can pay us if you wanted to um, by just going to Patreon. Uh, or, or obviously, you know, a briefcase full of money would also be good. But you know, uh, just a uh, just a couple of quid a month or a pound. I don't care. It doesn't matter. The amount isn't important okay if you want your conscience eased and you want to pay for something that you're taking value from then feel free you can do please please do um, just go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast and there's a big Patreon banner at the top there just click on it and then show me the money you had me at Patreon <laughs> Now it's time for Hashtag Ask Jake. Let's take another one of your questions. And today's question comes from Steve, who wants to know, well, he wants advice on how best to regulate his temperature. <laughs> He's struggling at the moment because of the changeable conditions. He's either too hot, too cold, and he doesn't seem to be able to get his clothing right. Do I have any advice? Uh, specifically regarding the upper body, Steve has put, because he never knows whether to wear long sleeve or short sleeve. i tell you what I do, and this is very personal, Steve, so you've got to find what works for you, but I think a really good combination could be a t-shirt so obviously a technical fabric t-shirt arm warmers so arm sleeves and a very lightweight gilet 
That way, you've got three pieces of kit, effectively, that you can strip off accordingly throughout the run. So you might start, if it's particularly cold and, and windy, you might start with the arm warmers, the t-shirt and the gilet, and slowly as you, you warm up, you might take off the, uh, the arm warmers, stow them away in a little bag that you might have, a waist belt or in your pocket, uh, and then you can obviously strip off the gilet as well. So that might give you a good kind of combination of, of things to wear, you might feel a lot more comfortable, gives you some flexibility. So sometimes you just have to be a little bit creative with clothing rather than think, right, I've got to wear an item and it needs to be right for the entire run. Doesn't necessarily have to be the case. I hope that helps. Don't forget to let us know how you find that tip, Steve. If you've got a question, it is hashtag AskJake or you can drop us an email at runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. That is a wrap for the Running With Jake podcast, episode 64. We will be back here next week for episode 65. We're not award-winning. Please join us, irrespective of the awards we have or don't have. Yeah, but next week we will be award-winning, so that's okay, isn't it? That's a very good point. Anyway, I always tell all my runners it's not the winning that matters, it's the taking part. We know that's crap. (laughs) It's all about the winning, especially in the podcast world. Stay motivated, stay safe. We'll see you here next week. Oh! And one more thing. It doesn't matter if you win or if you lose. You've finished. And there's probably a beer waiting for you somewhere.